My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. Today on the podcast, we're going to continue our series on Haitian lives. A couple months ago, we told the life of Carmel Valdemar. In this episode, we're going to delve into the remarkable life of the medical director of Lespoitimoun, Therelian Lolo. Dr. Lolo is known for his humility and his grit. He has worked at the clinic for 10 years. During that time, he has come to work despite upheaval in the country, kidnappings, and violence. In the past, when the situation has been very severe, he has taken moto taxis just to arrive to see patients. Listen to the humble beginnings and how he climbed to where he is today. Dr. Lolo was born in the small town of Nancaton in southern Haiti. The town is called Nancaton because it is a place that, in the distant past, had been known for growing cotton. He had two brothers, but no sisters. One of his brothers died at the age of two, a fate not uncommon in the mountains of Haiti. His parents never told him how he died. As he says it, they believed it was a lugawu, a werewolf that had eaten him. This is a common superstition among country folks when a child dies. At an early age, his parents split up. His mother went to the mid-sized city of Miraguan with his brother, and Dr. Lolo stayed with his father. His father was a farmer. He grew beans, corn, millet, but he was not an attentive dad. By the time Lolo was six, he was ill from neglect. Sores covered his body. A friend alerted his mother that he would likely die if he stayed in the village. His mother left the city to come get him. At six years old, Dr. Lolo had never ridden in a car, never left his little village. The town was isolated, only served by a little dirt track. His mother led him down the little path on a six-hour walk to the nearest road. There, they were able to catch a ride into Miraguan. Dr. Lolo tells me that he will never forget the day that he arrived in Miraguan. He said the memories followed him for his entire boyhood. It was early 1986, and Baby Doc, the feared dictator of Haiti, was in the process of falling from power. The roads were blockaded. There were protests everywhere. Mobs were rounding up the members of the Tonton Makut, Baby Doc's paramilitary force. Once these former tough men were in the hands of the mob, tires were forced around their bodies, filled with gasoline, and lit on fire. Coming from a little sleepy town, these visions were terrible to behold. He said for years he had recurrent headaches that he attributed to the stress and shock of seeing these things. He settled in with his mother. His mother was very different from his dad. She was devoted and watchful. She was also very strict. She was part of the putti personnel at the local hospital. Putti personnel translates as little people, but it basically meant she worked as a janitor of sorts. She took him to the hospital every day for weeks, Lolo receiving shots each time. Slowly, day after day, Dr. Lolo became healthy again. He was six years old, but he had never been to school, in a country where children who go to school start at the age of three. His mother put him in a class with students his age, and he remembered having to work with friends and family to try to learn his colors and letters in order to understand what was going on. But he was gifted with intelligence, and within a few months, he was back up to speed. Life in Miraguan overall was better than the village. He had his brother there, and he could study. As he grew up, he started to wonder what he should do with his life. He considered agriculture, maybe becoming an accountant. Eventually, he settled on becoming a doctor, 
but he had no idea how he could find the means to study medicine. He applied for a scholarship to the National School of Medicine, but as he says, he was the son of a janitor with no connections. When he was turned down, he took an exam for a medical scholarship in Cuba. He waited anxiously for the results. Finally, the news came. He had been accepted. But shortly thereafter, his dream came crashing down. He had taken the exam in his home of Miraguan, but not the city of his birth. He had not known this was required, but Cuba told him that he would need to retake it again the next year. He said the news stressed him out so much he had diarrhea. This had been his chance to rise out of poverty, and he had lost it. He did some work, and he studied more, and he waited another year. Finally, the time had come, and he took the test again, and he passed. He had gotten his ticket. When Lolo arrived in Cuba, he did not speak Spanish. In six months, he would be starting medical school in a foreign language. He doubled down and managed to learn. I personally cannot imagine going to medical school in another language, much less one I just had learned. In much of the world, medical school is six years, combining undergraduate and medical studies all into one. So it was in Cuba. Dr. Lolo focused. He came back to Haiti on his vacations three different times to visit his mother, but otherwise he was isolated in another country. And these were dangerous years in Haiti. He was gone between 2002 and 2008. The country suffered an armed revolution with widespread street fighting in Port-au-Prince. He said it was challenging. He didn't know if his friends or family were okay. These were the days before the internet, and he would have to pay $2 a minute to call home. But he said he enjoyed his time in Cuba. And we're not making any statements on the political views of Cuba as a country, but he said that the Cuban people were very welcoming. He suffered no racism, somewhat of an anomaly, because I hear this regularly mentioned by Haitians that travel to other countries. He was provided with books and food because he had no means. The people of Cuba pressed on him a sense of equality. At the end of his studies, he returned to Haiti. And to him, it was a shock. He had just spent years out of his home country. Every doctor returning to Haiti was required to do a year of social service, working in a remote clinic. He was placed in a small town in the south. It was isolated, but nothing like his hometown. At the very least, there was a road that would allow a car to pass. He was placed there with one other doctor. He remembers being terrified. Often the other physicians would leave for Port-au-Prince, and here he would be, with no backup, the only physician for miles around, just months out of medical school. He did births, minor surgeries, basically anything that didn't need to be shipped out the 10 hours to Port-au-Prince. It was very different from Cuba. Here he had to adjust his practice because often the patients could not afford treatment at all. Of all his patients during this time, he most remembered a young child who had fallen on his head and started to have seizures. He used his own money to send a motorcycle driver to the closest city where he could buy anti-seizure medications. The boy continued to seize as they waited. Finally, the driver came back and they were able to stop the seizures. He remembers most the deep gratitude of the father. After his social service, he returned to Port-au-Prince to search for a job. He was in the city at a large intersection on January 12, 2010. Many of you will know this was the day of the Port-au-Prince earthquake. It was late afternoon, and he was waiting for his girlfriend to pick him up. Suddenly, the world violently shook. Buildings collapsed all around. He was in a stupor. A little boy, maybe five or six, came up to him and told him he didn't know what to do. He said he was going to follow Dr. Lolo 
wherever he went. But Dr. Lolo was still in shock. He told the little boy he didn't know where to go either. He left to walk back down to his home. He told me he still remembers that little boy to this day. Lolo walked the eight miles back to his house in Bouquet. All along the streets were broken buildings and corpses. He didn't know if his girlfriend or any of his friends were alive. The next day, he awoke early and made the many miles walk to his girlfriend's house. Thanks to God, she was still alive. That November, he married her. After the earthquake, Dr. Lolo worked for Oxfam, training community educators on hygiene and sanitation. He still remembers the desperate situation in the tent cities that popped up after the earthquake. It hurt him to see his people like this, but he felt a sense of pride that he could work in the rebuilding of his country. After a year with Oxfam, Dr. Lolo learned from a friend that there was a job opening in a clinic in Bouquet on the outskirts of Port-au-Prince. He was interested. He learned that it was a nonprofit dedicated to low-cost medical care. He started work in 2011 and has worked continuously at the Lisboati Moon Clinic since. He started working when the clinic was housed in a private home. Over the ensuing 10 years, he saw it move to a large clinic compound and steadily take care of more and more patients. He says that he saw growth accelerate after Light from Light started to reinforce the work. In 2020, after nearly a decade of continuous work as a staff physician, Dr. Lolo was elevated to the position of medical director. Dr. Lolo, the son of a poor farmer from an isolated village, now oversaw all the medical aspects of the clinic. Dr. Lolo is a good friend of mine. We have worked hand in hand for the last two years. The characteristic that most marks him is his humility. He believes that all employees have worth. Hannah and I like to call him a man of the people. And yet, Haitian businesses and clinics are often excessively hierarchical, those at the top viewing themselves as inherently more important than those at the bottom. I asked Dr. Lolo how he avoided that mindset, why he was different. He said that his mother had been a janitor, cleaning the hospital every day. How could he view one of the little people at the clinic as below him? Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti, or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.